Man, hey, can we give it up for, for Caleb, Keith, and Mark, dude? They are... <clears throat> I, uh, I don't know if anybody wants to listen to me preach right after you guys get done worshiping. Just don't dance. Dude, I've been pushing for backup dancers in New City Church for two years now, and nobody has listened to me yet, so it's kind of upsetting. Uh, if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, like I said before, my name is Pastor Ben White. I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, my beautiful wife, Hannah, over here in the red dress. Uh, and and uh, before we get started... Um, Jesus has a funny way of messing with my plans, and so I had a whole sermon read up, and this morning as I was praying, I think he went ahead and changed the whole thing. So we're just going to see where today takes us. Um, one of the things I've been praying through during this, this series of who is this Jesus is Psalm 40 verse 4, and it says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud or to those who go astray after a lie. And I've been, and I've been praying on this, and, and it makes sense now because today we're talking about the life of John the Baptist. And specifically, John's last moments as he is in prison about to be beheaded. <clears throat> and it says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud or to those who go astray after a lie. There are a lot of lies about who Jesus is. Everybody's got a version, everybody's got a, a feeling or an inkling of who Jesus is, and over half of them aren't even based in Scripture. So today, as we talk, we're going to answer this question by saying, Jesus is the avenger. And this, this Hebrew word, avenger, is also the same word, redeemer. In the language. So when, when we talk about avenger, we're actually talking about an avenger or a redeemer. And so to open us up, we'll look at Mark 16, or Mark 6, not Mark 16, we're not there yet, 14 through 29. Would you turn there with me, church, if you have Bibles? If not, it'll be up on the screen. Um, but we really want you guys to. Whatever, whether it's a paper Bible or it's a phone Bible, man, whatever device you feel comfortable on, have it pulled up in front of you. And this goes so you can check my words against Scripture. Um, and then sometimes there's a cooler translation out there that I don't have that you might have and it might sound better to you. It says in verse 14, it says, King Herod heard of it. Heard of what? So we look back at this. And so first we look at chapter 6, the beginning. Two weeks ago, Caleb brought the word and he talked about how Jesus was more than a carpenter. He went to his hometown but could perform little miracles because everybody had this preconceived notion of who Jesus was. And then last week we talked about Jesus being the sender. He sent out the 12 disciples. And he said, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And we learned last week that we physically carry the gospel out into our communities every time we put on our feet. Amen, church? King Herod would have heard of all of these miraculous things that Jesus had been doing, how he had been able to tell off the Pharisees and, and face no condemnation from that, and how he, he was actually who he said he was. 
And the people said, some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. Right? So everybody has been trying to answer this question of who Jesus is, and Herod comes up with an answer. Verse 16 says, but when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. And it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias. If you ever name your daughter Herodias, I ask that you don't. Um, Herod and Herodias, I don't think you could have written that any funnier. His brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. It doesn't matter how good of a Christian you are, there is still a chance that you will face persecution in this life, church. There is still a chance that somebody else's wife's brother, sister, cousin is going to hate you. And they are going to do whatever it takes to stop the message of the kingdom of God from reaching whoever it is you're trying to reach. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders. And the leading men of, the, of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in a dance, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. This little girl, whoever she was, had more power in this one moment than she will probably have for the rest of her life. And what did she do? She went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And her mom said, the head of John the Baptist. Give me his head. Uh, there were some people as I was preparing for today that said I should find a platter and put it around my head, and that's how I should do today's sermon. Um, you're welcome for not doing that. that I felt like I would have gotten some emails about that. And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in and immediately with haste to the king... And asked, saying, I want you to give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his gifts, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head, and he went and beheaded him in prison. And brought his head on a platter. If I could ever be that sick and twisted to give my son anybody's head. Uh, I don't know what kind of wickedness would have to go on there. But uh, to have Asa ask for somebody's head and then give it to Hannah, um, y'all better pray for Hannah then. So, But we're, we're asking this question, who is this Jesus? And today we've said Jesus is an avenger. And so we define an avenger as this. It is the person who inflicts punishment upon the evildoer for a wrong experienced by himself or by someone else. Growing up, uh, we were taught as kids, so I'm one of six. Uh, I know the Cunninghams are the only ones that have me beat in the room right now. Uh, Seven boys. It gets rowdy. Anybody who has kids know that it gets rowdy. Anybody who has kids knows 
that your kids probably will not like each other 100% of the time. They'll poke fun at each other. They'll, they'll pick fun. My dad always said that I had a knack for pushing other people's buttons. And yet, the second that somebody stood up and tried to attack one of my brothers or sisters, oh, it's, it's game over. It doesn't matter what fight we had been engaged in five minutes before. You come after my family, I'm coming after you. And that's how we were brought. We were brought up with this mentality that we avenge the wrongs in our lives and in those around us. And yet scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But scripture also talks, we're going Old Testament here again, church today, about this concept of an avenger of blood. If you have... We're going to look at Numbers 35, 19, and it says, The avenger of blood shall himself put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. So, so we're answering this question about Jesus being an avenger, and we see in the Old Testament that there is this allowance clause for an avenger of blood. <clears throat> an avenger of blood described is, is a person legally responsible for carrying out vengeance when a family member has been unlawfully killed or murdered. The avenger of blood is usually the nearest male relative of the murdered person. This family executioner seeks justice by killing the individual responsible for the death of his relative. So check this out, church. So Herod, King Herod, he was a Roman citizen, but he was raised Jewish. He could have put two and two together that Jesus and John were cousins. But he would have been raised knowing all of the Jewish traditions, all of the Jewish laws, and he would have known about this avenger of blood clause. There, there are some translations that say when, when King Herod heard of Jesus, he was afraid. He was afraid. And I believe it's because of this clause, because of the avenger of blood. You see, John and James, or John and Jesus were, were cousins. Um, after the story, it doesn't really talk about whether. John's father was in the picture. It doesn't talk about Joseph being in the picture. And so Jesus would have been the next of kin closest to John to be the avenger of blood. And so we, we get into this life uh, of John and why he was, was killed. And it says in verse 20, it says, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. So we, we see that John was righteous and holy, and yet at the end of the chapter, or at the end of the passage, we see that he was unlawfully killed. So Herod has unlawfully killed, he's heard of Jesus, he's freaking out. Because Jesus is an avenger. And yet Jesus doesn't come to avenge person to person. Jesus comes to avenge from the thief. In John 10.10, it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal your hope, kill your joy, and destroy your life. And this thief is the devil. And sin was all around this culture because Jesus' gospel had just started being pronounced. And so Jesus wasn't here to just avenge John from Herod. He was here to avenge Avenge the sin of man on man. It says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He came to redeem the situation by taking away the sin of the world. 
And church, a lot of times, if you're like me and my family, we try to take it in our own hands. We want to fix it our way, our time, our knowledge. We want to be the avenger of blood. It kind of sounds cool to be an avenger, right? We've got movies that are literally called the Avengers, and it, it depicts these people as superheroes that fight for the injustice of, of people. And then you get Jesus, and he's a humble dude. He's a meek dude. Doesn't seem like he would fit in with a Captain America or a Hulk or an Iron Man. And yet he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, see, Jesus as an avenger and as a redeemer doesn't just look at our earthly circumstances. He looks at the spiritual authorities in the realm and says, I'm about to kick some people out of here. Amen, church? Man, and if, if, I'm, if I'm being honest, one of the things, again, in my prayer time this week is I was, I was praying over the, the city and, man, I don't care. I want stuff, but I don't care and I'm not going to help do it, but you better do it for me. It's this self-centered, apathetic spirit. And Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. If that is not the best news you have heard all week, something is wrong. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities. We're not talking about earthly kings and queens and presidents. We're talking about spiritual principles that have embedded themselves in our culture. These spiritual principles, some could be abortion, sexual impurity, the porn industry, alcohol, drugs. He came and he disarmed these things. It's all sin. Amen, church? He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He redeemed us through the triumph of the cross. And there's nothing that can take that triumph away. There is, there is literally nothing that you can't nail to the cross in the back of the, of the house and say, Jesus, I don't think you can handle this. There is nothing. He cancels the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You see, because sin, Romans tells us that the, the wages of sin comes to steal. And destroy. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so the only way that we are able to fight against the devil is through Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen, church? Look, guys, y'all gonna have to drink some more coffee or something? Because if you ain't hyped up about fighting in a battle and being an actual avenger, I don't know what to tell you. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We grow up our whole lives wrestling against people, striving against people. But against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
We are literally called to stop fighting with our brothers and sisters and fight the evil forces in the heavenly places. Amen? So how do we fight? If you'll turn with me to Ephesians 6, because this is the same armor that, that Jesus wore, and it's the same armor that he gives us to be redeemers. Right? Because when, when we pray, it's not just casting stuff up and hoping it gets past the lights in the ceiling. If it is, that's a pretty empty relationship. Amen, church? Amen. When we pray, it literally puts things into motion. So Ephesians 6 says, Mike, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm jumping all over and I added stuff that I did not plan on adding today. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil wants you dead. He doesn't care how he does it. He wants you dead. We used to play this game called the armor of God. um, And it was... It's a child game. If you find it, it might be at Christian stores and it was set up and you would roll the dice and you would try to collect the pieces of the armor of God. And, and I remember because it, it would have certain things that said, oh, you lied to your parents. You got you to gotta put back the belt of truth or, oh, you got in a fight with your brother and, and, and you got to put back the sandals of peace. And it, it's literally teaching kids the mentality of, dude, when we put on this armor of God, we're going into battle, right? And it should be a heart posture and a a spiritual shift from what we were aligning ourselves to. There's a fly in here. Verse 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Withstand in the evil day. Guys, a lot of us, man, do we look at the world and we say, hey, it's going to hell in a handbasket, and we check out. We cannot be a city that checks out. Amen, church? Man, because if we check, if the church checks out, the city loses. Right? And I've been in a lot of cities. I get to travel around now quite a bit. I've been in a lot of cities that have a lot of churches that are spiritually dead. And I hate it, and it breaks my heart. I've been in a lot of cities that, man, the churches don't even care what the leadership in the city is doing. They're just doing their own thing. And it breaks my heart. Verse 14. To stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Notice it says all the evil darts. It doesn't say some of the evil darts. It doesn't say 90% of the evil darts. It says Every dart and every shot that the devil takes at you, if you stand firm in your faith, you'll withstand. 
And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And I hate playing favorites with the, the armor of God. and um, Man, but, but the helmet of salvation, they're all important. The helmet of salvation is the one that sticks out to me today. Because we're called to remind ourselves of the gospel that was taught and remind ourselves of the testimony that we have in Jesus Christ. And our salvation is one of the things that Jesus or that, that the devil loves to attack. He doesn't want us to think that we're saved. He doesn't want us to feel that we're saved all the time. Amen, church? Dude, there are times when it is, it is hard to remember that I'm a saved Christian. Verse 18 says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep it alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Man, are we a praying church or what? We pray because it helps us persevere. And also, for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is a Maybe a self-centered little plug, but if you're not praying for me, guys, I, I, need, I need more prayer than anybody, right? And that's not saying that you don't need more prayer because I'm praying for you guys, but like, I'm messed up, dude. And without the love and the grace and reminding myself of Jesus Christ, man, I ain't going to be able to make it. And so as we, we end today, church, I want you to know the devil's real and he wants you dead. He wants you dead to Christ. He doesn't want you to know that Christ is even in existence. And if you are in Christ right now, he wants you complacent. He wants you to be comfortable where you are because a comfortable Christian is a dead Christian. We, uh, we have a church plant, or, or we, we help some church ministry missionaries in Thailand. I had a graphic for you a couple weeks ago about that, but, but they are literally a persecuted church. And, and through it all, we, we had a campus pastor meeting with the, with the central team a while ago, and we went through some of their persecution stories. And through it all, they were joyful through the persecution because they constantly reminded themselves of the gospel and the good work that Jesus was doing in their lives. But they know that the devil wants them dead. Second, the Redeemer is working even in the midst of persecution and death. John was in prison for a good chunk of his ministry. I, I guess as soon as you talk against the rulers and say, hey, you're, you're not supposed to be doing this, um, that's a pretty one-way ticket to, to the clinker. And yet Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. And so even in the midst of persecution, John knew, because he had sent his disciples out, like, hey, are you really the Christ? Are you really the guy that's supposed to save us and bring about this new kingdom? Are, are you who you said you were? <laughs> And Jesus said to John's disciples, go and, and tell them that the, the blind see and the lame walk, the deaf hear and the mute speak. 
Go and tell John that I am the way, the truth, and the life. I started this sermon with with talking about Psalm 40, verse 4. And so I I, want to challenge you today, church. Last last week I challenged you with sharing the gospel. Raise your hand if you actually shared the gospel with somebody. All right, there you go. We'll get there. We're a gospel preaching church. This week I want to challenge you. Are you actually making the Lord your trust? Are you actually making the Lord your trust? Caleb, if you want to come up and, and play. The worship team is, is going to finish us off. Church and finish. Yeah. Wow. Not finish you off like that. You're not dying here, I promise. Um, I don't know if I'm powerful enough to do that, but they're, they're going to come and, and finish us out, lead us out in, in worship, lead us out. That's probably better than finish him off. Uh, but I, I want you to really process this, man. If you've got a real enemy who wants you dead more than anybody else, and you've got a re- redeemer who is working even in the midst of your of persecution and death, man, are you willing to trust him? We have gone through about 19 weeks of asking this question. Who is this Jesus? 19 weeks of answer after answer of, hey, this is actually who Jesus said he is based on what scripture says. Do you trust him? Man, are you still trying to take up arms for yourself? Because it's easy to do. It's easy because the Savior seems slow to the suffering. I, wanna, I want you to hear that, church. The Savior seems slow to the suffering. And it's easy to start moving without Jesus. Let's pray, church. Dad, you say, blessed is the man who makes his trust the Lord. God, if we if we can do nothing else this week, would you help us trust with one more step? God, will you help us like that voice that you say to Isaiah is, I will be with you and I will tell you whether to go to the right or to the left. Will you help us trust that voice? Father, you say in your scripture that the Holy Spirit is a helper and that because you left, you sent him to help us and to remind us of things. Holy Spirit, will you come and remind us of who you are? Man, and and will you help us take Jesus out of the boxes that we've put him in in our own lives and say, hey, you can only be this for me, Jesus. Will you help us see that his entire character is something that we can trust? We love you and we praise you. Amen.